chapter 4. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was uh, scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, though they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It's my Bible. My parents gave it to me as a gift when I graduated from high school. It's been with me ever since. I've read it cover to cover, from Genesis to maps. <laughs> I used to do one of those plans, you know, um, the Bible in a year or the uh, New Testament in a month. Because I uh, memorized so much of it as a kid in Sunday school, I still feel that uh, there are chunks of it in there, in me. They're uh, familiar, like, like old friends. Did you ever get together with an old friend and uh, you didn't know what to say to each other? Stare at the coffee, look out the window, and until you make your excuses and say, you know, I really need to get going. That's been me in scripture lately. I don't know what it is. My beliefs are the same. I, this, this is the book that God gave us. It's, it's his word. It's his words, his stories, his guidance, his, his history, his prophecies. And I love reading. I, Fiction, biographies, the news. But lately when I pick up this book, I sit down at 6.15 every morning with my coffee on the couch and my mind wanders. All I can think of is chores. Or that, that guy at work who's been a thorn in my side. That funny sound my car's making whether or not I, I, I want a donut. Anything but what I'm reading seems to want to take over my thoughts. And the next thing you know, it's a Boston cream and I'm late for work. <laughs> and that's my quiet time for the day. The chicken and egg thing, right? Does my relationship with God feel stalled because I'm not reading his word or... Can I not get into reading because I feel distant from God? I don't think I'm shallow soil. I, I, I don't think I'm in a thorny phase of life. I, I want to be the good soil that grows a crop. But I feel... like regular old dirt. 
waiting for spring and the rains to come. Waiting for this book to come alive to me again. Ever feel like Jeff? You ever just stare at your Bible and just figuring out, I'm not sure if I want to read this or not. You don't have to answer, but I have. Now Jeff is one of the characters uh, that we use in our drama last week. And it was uh, a, a drama about what happens when a fictitious uh, life community or small group uh, gathers, and what happens when they move beyond the typical, superficial, churchy type of conversation and allow themselves to be vulnerable and allow themselves to be honest about the frustrations that many of them have regarding their walk, regarding their faith. Not only was it one of our funnier dramas that, that, we've, that we've had in a, in a really long time, but uh, many have expressed how it just struck a chord in them. Uh, so if you missed last week uh, because of the snow, uh, we would love to encourage you to just to go online and, and check it out. But a lot of us really resonated uh, with that drama. And so we, we, we brought Jeff back, and, and you'll probably see them again. Now we're in the second week of our series called Stalled. And again, if you weren't here last week, here, here's a bit of a setup. Uh, back in February... Uh, we, we did this impromptu survey of where people identify themselves on this spiritual journey spectrum. And today we wanted to give you a bit of the results of the spiritual journey spectrum. Uh, if you remember this, this, uh, this spectrum that we had, it'll come up, I'm sure, in a second. Uh, we had, uh, do you remember filling this out in February? Any, anyone uh, vote? Uh, all right, a few of us did, all right. And I won't ask you how you voted, all right. Um, safe place here. Uh, but over to the left, we, we had those who have not yet uh, decided that they were uh, identifying themselves as Christians, and over to the right, you can see. Uh, but we were really grateful that we had 1,100 people um, express where, where they identify themselves at. And we had seven express that they felt indifferent, 27 confused, 25 skeptical, and 69 seeking. Uh, that represents about 10% of our congregation uh, that, that worships weekly, and we really like uh, the idea that we are a church that feels safe for many people to feel skeptical and to seek. Uh, so if you identified with, with the left side of that, we are really grateful that you're here at Grace Chapel, and we, we, we cannot emphasize that enough, and may, may, may God be with you. We really mean that. Uh, on the right, we were really encouraged uh, that 43 people had expressed uh, that they had come to faith uh, recently. And 137 people expressed that uh, they have uh, renewed uh, their faith in God and got reconnected in the church. Uh, and then we had um, uh, 713 people describe themselves as growing, uh, and, and, and that, that, that felt great. Uh, but we also, the, probably the more unsettling discovery that we had was 317 people described themselves as stalled on that journey. Stuck not making progress. 
Uh, what this probably means statistically, and, if, and we realize that not everybody filled out the survey, um, so, so we, we understand there's some hidden numbers at work, but this probably means about 25% of believers uh, feel that they are not growing in their faith. One out of four people listening today. And so just as we said that, you know, uh, people resonated with that drama last week, uh, maybe it's because many of us readily identify with those hypothetical characters in that small group. So this series felt needed. Uh, and, and so here, here we are in week two of Stalled. Last week, Pastor Brian taught us that if we are feeling stalled, we can get going and growing again by finding a grander vision for our lives. And tonight we want to take a, a closer look at what that vision might look like. And we want to look at the par- of Jesus' parable of the good sower. And so it begins like this in Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught, many, he taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching he said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. I just want to stop there. Verse 1 says that there were so many people that were there coming to listen to Jesus that he had to get into a boat. And I just think this is just like a, a really cool detail in, in, in the scriptures. Um, he, he doesn't go into the boat because people are like are kind of pushing him into the water. Um, and he doesn't go into the boat because, you know, so they could see him. It, the text actually says uh, that, that he sat down. Um, he gets into the boat and, and, and the, he paddles out a little bit uh, so he can use the water as a natural microphone to, to those who are gathered. And, and those of you who fish, um, those of you who, who you know, have some boating experience, you know how, how the water can be used um, as, a, as a natural microphone. And then he tells them this parable. And we've talked about parables a few times this year. Uh, and I would just like to remind you uh, that the parables work in, like, in a really multifaceted way. There's what you get like, on the first glance. Uh, and then there's like, you know, the different perspectives and lens that you have to you know, kind of take on to uncover some of the deeper meanings and some of the deeper truths um, you know, through the, about the parable. Sometimes it helps to look at it through different characters and, and just kind of different, again, lenses, if you will. Hence the power of the parable. And so in verse 4, verse four Jesus uh, continues the story. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not, grow, uh, did not bear grain. So other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. We might ask ourselves, what kind of a farmer is this? I mean, why does he scatter seed just, just so haphazardly? I mean, he's wasting time, he's wasting energy, he's wasting seeds. Why, why do I do this? Well, can I pause here for a second? As, as one who's gone to church for, for most of his life, uh, when I hear passages like these, I, I just feel like I have to make a confession now that I'm preaching them. Um, I, I am not into farming. Um, and passages about, you know, first century Palestinian agriculture don't really speak to me that, you know, on, on the first glance type of a thing. And I think, I think, you know, these passages, you know, like they, they're a bit of a stretch for me. 
Because when I hear words like sewing, I always, like, just instinct, instinctively, I think, like, which one? Like, like sewing, like the way that a farmer sews, or sewing with, like, you know, a thread and a needle? Neither are passions of mine. So, like, I understand the disconnect that we might have as we look at Mark 4. And I know sometimes we come to church just wanting some encouragement. I know sometimes we, 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 we kind of, I'm not even sure if I should go tonight, and you show up, God bless you, and the first thing that we're starting to talk to you about is first century Palestinian agriculture. I'm like, I'm not really sure what I'm going to do with this. If you just need to hear somebody like a pastor say it, like we, we get that and we appreciate that. But I may not be interested in sewing, and you may not be either, but I am really fascinated by the idea or the concept of something that does not exist becoming real and alive and big and growing. I'm really fascinated by things that revolve around movement and momentum, and there are things that are catalysts of life. I'm interested in the dynamics of growth. I'm also really interested on the, on sort of like the flip side of that. I'm interested in, in how life is diminished. I, I want to pay attention to how joy is stolen, how sometimes purpose and meaning are lost. I want to know how life can get stalled. And so that's why I appreciate scriptures like these, because I, I think they have something really profound to say if we can just kind of get past a little bit of the metaphor. And so I hope your heart can be open to this passage too. So back to the text. Why does he sow the fields like this, trying to plant seeds in all these different places when maybe he should know, some, maybe he should know better? Like when he starts throwing the seeds like on the walkway and the birds come and they eat it up, do we stop and ask ourselves, do we ever feel like this? Maybe. Let's, ask, let's process that a little bit. Have you ever had the experience, like maybe like after a night of worship or a night in church or, 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 or a night uh, where you've, you've just, you feel that you've connected in prayer or, or in scripture, um, and maybe like you know, after a night of worship, you, you, you drive home and you walk in your front door and you, you felt the sense of peace, but as soon as you got home, as soon as you walk in the door, you just felt this avalanche of problems that have just like, you know, kind of like just resurfaced again. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe you checked your inbox. Maybe you checked your, your mailbox. And all the goodness and all, all the, that message of peace just feels like it's just been snatched up. Or maybe you've, you've received the message and you've guarded it for a time. But because your only real diet was, you know, the Sunday sermon, and that was really the only fertilizer that you had, and maybe it wasn't even the every Sunday sermon, if you're really being honest. And there, so there weren't any deep roots growing, in, and then your, your, your faith just felt like it withered along that, that, rocky, that rocky soil. Or maybe you feel like, you know, relatively like it's good soil, but there's all these thorns and thistles and weeds in your life that are just crowding you out, and you feel that cluttered life you feel that busied, hurried, overwhelming sense of life. I can connect with that. Maybe you can too. And then when we consider the good soil, this soil that produces 30, 60, 100 fold, sometimes we have this thought in our minds, like, that just seems so unachievable. That just seems unrealistic. Those are the, like, the incredible, overachieving Christians. I'm not sure I can connect with that. We'll talk about this a little bit more at the end of the message. But if you're processing some of this, I think you're in good company. 
And I think you are what Jesus has in mind. So why does the sower plant the seeds like this? Well, one influential interpreter describes the scene as a realistic portrayal as a farmer's frustration to growing crops here in Palestine. The seed falls on the path, the rocky ground, the thorns, uh, because of what's called the broadcast method of sowing, meaning the field does not get plowed until after it's already been sown with seed. It's, it's an interesting idea, and, and some people have uh, agreed with that, and some people have disputed that. Um, my expertise on not being a first century expert on Palestinian agriculture, um, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I, I, just, think it's, I just think it's interesting. Uh, but what I also think is really interesting, as, as another Bible scholar uh, puts it, the idea here is that to our human eyes, the labor seems fruitless and futile, resulted, resulting in repeated failure. This feels like a waste of time. But Jesus is full of confidence. He knows that God has made a beginning and bringing, bringing with it a harvest that has been promised. That warms me up a little bit. I, I started getting a little bit more into that passage, knowing that Jesus has this confidence in the beginning that has been promised, and I may be a part of that harvest. God has made a beginning in our lives. I really believe that. God has made a beginning in your spiritual journey. And regardless of how windy, all the ups and downs, and, and maybe you've gotten lost at, at some part of the journey, and pr you probably, if you're honest, and, and, and I would like to be the, like, we get lost all the time on the journey, and that's okay to admit. That, that is, you're in good company if you feel that way. There is a beginning to it, but God is with us, and he wants to help us navigate to get us to a, to a better part, a healthier part, a, 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 a part closer to him on that journey. And so, probably the first observation we can make is that there is a lot of failure in our spiritual journeys. But when we consider that Jesus is full of confidence for our sake, we can have hope that he will do great work in our lives, in our soil, thereby making the soil of our lives very good. I like that a lot. Now, remember when, when I said we have to look at passages in, in, in different angles I think it might help us if, if, we, if we also look at the disturbing part. And, you know, there, there's, there's a dark side to, to this text, if we're being honest with it. And, and I don't want to just gloss over it. Um, but one of the points that Jesus is saying here is that not everyone will prosper in the good soil. Not everyone will be saved. And Jesus' parables give remarkable attention, uh, especially here, to describing the failure of some of the seeds and the reason for it. And so the harvest, of course, is, is the focus of, of, of the parable, but the failure is also part of the focus of the parable as well. Now, some of you who have felt maybe burned by church in your past, people like me, um, you, you, you might already have like this thought in your mind, like, oh no, is this going to be one of those you know, hellfire and brimstone sermons, everyone's going to perish, and if you don't listen to me, you're going to perish too, and, and that sort of thing. And like, you know, like that, that preacher voice, you know, like, you know, that fake preacher voice that, that happens. We try really hard not to ever do that. Um, I, don't, I don't preach like that. I don't think anybody around here does. Um, but again, there is a dark side to this. There is a cautionary tale. And I think good preaching should help illuminate that part in Scripture. And so what we do want to do is we, we want to see what Jesus is really saying here. 
Because even his disciples were confused, and even they were bothered, and even they were wondering, am I on the wrong side of this? So the text continues in verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown in rocky places, hear the word and at once they receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some even 100 times what was sown. There's this theologian that I really, really like that I'm borrowing you know, a bit heavily from. His name is N.T. Wright. And, and N.T. Wright is like, like the, the Michael Jordan of like the, you know, the Bible scholar world, okay? Um, so if you don't agree with him, that's okay. But just know that who you're disagreeing with, okay? No, I'm like kidding. <laughs> uh, but, but this is how he explains the, the, the difficulties of, of, of this passage. He, he's saying that when Jesus is using parables... It's like the, the, way that Jesus, the, way, the way that we would use symbols or codes or the way that somebody might even use like a political cartoon. You know, like those political cartoons that like, oh my goodness, does it mean that? Wow, that, that, is, that is heavy. And so like, when, like, like in a political cartoon, like when, when there's an eagle and it really represents the United States or when there's a lion, and it, but it really represents, New Eng- uh, <laughs> it represents England, old England, the original England, right? Um, so, so, some of, so the parables work like codes, political cartoons, if you will. And the original audience would have seen some of these symbols, especially in the back half of this passage. A sower sowing seed is not just a familiar picture of everyday farming. It's also a picture of God sowing Israel again in, in this land, trying to, after this long exile, trying to restore the fortunes of like this, this big family farm, if you will, trying to make it fruitful. And even that little, uh, those little words of like thorns and thistles, um, you know, they've had their way for so long. Like that's also like a hint back to the Garden of Eden scene when like these thorns and thistles, you know, you know started emerging as a result of the curse. The grass withers, you know, says Isaiah, and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever, as it says in chapter 40, verse 8. And, and God's word will be like rain or snow producing good harvests. And so this is a story about the word that produces fruit, that, that, that cha- takes something that is dead and makes it alive again. And something that, that even though the flowers fade, they can, they can bloom once again. This is a story about resurrection, if you will. Now, if you're really understanding also what's happening here in the book of Mark, you'll also understand that Jesus' ministry is one that is really politically incorrect. 
So I would love to encourage you to kind of get rid of this idea that Jesus is like this friendly rabbi that's just going around making people feel a little bit better about themselves. He's actually a lot more dangerous than that. In his mission to redeem all things, he's calling out the system, he's calling out the problems, he's calling out the corruption in the religious leaders, he's calling out the flaws in the Roman system, and he's also calling out like our individual selfishness and our individual, our, our personal preoccupation, if you will. And he's basically, he's calling out all the bad soil. Now, some, some thought that Israel was going to return back to like, this, this former glory place, like, like how it was uh, like with King David and King Solomon, um, and that the Messiah would emerge and like, you know, kick the Romans out, and, and like, we, we, we would get back to, to where we should be type of a thing, right? But, but Jesus, instead, he describes the kingdom a lot more subversively. So instead of coming in with like swords and an army, Jesus says, it's actually more like a farmer sowing seeds, planting seeds, and apparently a lot of it is going to be wasted, and some of it is going to be amazing. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Wright continues, he says, some people will, will get on board. Some people will, will, will continue to stand aloof, and, and we'll see other reactions as well. Some hear and forget, some are enthusiastic for a short time, some have too much else on their minds and hearts. And yes, some are fruitful, very fruitful indeed. But Jesus is giving a very coded warning that belonging to the kingdom is not automatic. The kingdom is coming all right, but maybe not in the way that you might expect. Some of you may have noticed that I skipped verse 9. And did anybody notice that, by the way? Of course. Good job. That one person who did not raise their hand, but I'm going to pretend that they did because the camera can't tell. I skipped verse 9 on purpose, um, and, it's, and it's a verse like, that I, I mean, I've, I've, I've sat and, and thought about for quite a while, and it says this, then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, like, why does he say that? Like, what, does that what does that mean? Well, a few things. Jesus is quoting a lot of the Old Testament prophets. Like, this, this is a line that, that is echoed throughout the Old Testament quite a few times, um, He's quoting uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and just to give you an example, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 5 says, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. When we see this type of language, it's generally used to describe uh, people who have like intentional resistance or a chosen stubbornness to what God is, is saying. And here, what I like is that Jesus kind of like reverses this negative and invites it like kind of in the positive. He invites people then to open their hearts, to open their minds, to receive what God is, is inviting them to receive. You might have this question that, that, you, uh, that, that we had in the, the back half of that, that passage, um, and N.C. Wright also asks this rhetorically as well. Doesn't Jesus want everybody to get the message? Yes and no, to some degree. What he is saying is such dynamite that it can't be said straightforwardly. It can't be said just like naturally just out on the street. Because like any kingdom movement was, a, was, a, was very dangerous. So like if Herod or the Roman authorities heard about it, they might be worried. I mean, if you look at this scene, there are so many people on this hillside listening to Jesus that he has to get in a boat 
and, and like, you know, push out a little bit so he, so he can be heard. I mean, like, he has captured the attention of the population. And if also word got out that Jesus' kingdom was radically unlike what maybe ordinary people were expecting, well, that might, that might cause some fury as well. It was doubly dangerous, so to speak. And so, like, if we go back to that political cartoon idea, if you put that in plain prose, somebody might try to sue you or somebody might try to kill you. And so, hence, the, the use of these parables. It's a mystery. It's not just a puzzle, but it's a divine secret which Jesus is at work revealing. But like with all divine revelation, you can only understand it if you believe it, if you trust it. So if you really want to appreciate the passage, we also have to stop seeing these parables as like, you know, again, like he's not just a cute rabbi and these words just aren't, you know, something that are cute and poetic, good for religious morale or or some kind of a pick-me-up for tough times. If you're, reading the, if you're reading the book of Mark and you're really taking it seriously, you'll notice that there's two big parables in, in, the, in, the, in the book of Mark. There's others, but there's two really big ones. And they always come out of Jesus, after when Jesus had a huge fight with the religious authorities. Uh, so there's this one in, in, Mark th- in Mark 4, but there's also another one after the big fight that Jesus has in Mark 11. And Mark 12 has what's called the parable of the tenants. And after these conflicts, like, so like the parable of the tenants um, and the parable of the workers in the vineyard, as it's sometimes called, um, if, if you're familiar with that one, it's like this allegory of, of the son who comes to collect the fruit of the harvest, but the workers do what? The workers kill him, right? And, and so like that's an allegory of like the rejection of Jesus. And shortly after Mark 12 is going to be the crucifixion scene. And so here in Mark 4, there's the parable of the sower which is examining the different responses to the word. To, to, and and it, it includes uh, the struggle and also the success of the harvest. I really want to pause here because I know I'm giving you a lot of information and, 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 and part of it is just also just from the excitement of wanting just to, to teach scripture. And I, just, I just think this stuff is really incredible. But maybe we can reflect a little bit here for, for, for a few moments. Maybe we can reflect a little bit together. Again, we're in this series called Stalled. And so like, I really want to be careful that, you know, perhaps it isn't going to be greater Bible knowledge that is going to unstall you. So let, let's, let's just pause here and reflect a little bit. But with faith, uh, whether it's in the past or, or right now, all of us can, can relate to this experience of feeling stuck. And Regardless of who you've ever been, like there, there just isn't any super Christian who has never had this experience of feeling stalled or stuck. Even when we look through the characters of the Bible, there are many instances, many of our own patriarchs that have felt stuck in their faith. And so I would like to take the, the awkwardness and maybe even some of the shame out of this feeling of, of being stuck or stalled. Winter comes for everybody, so to speak. There is a season of stalling that comes for everybody. It's difficult for everyone. The nature of faith and spiritual growth is challenging, even for Jesus. I think this is why Jesus had to pray so much. It was catching up to him, the stress of it, the anxiety of it. And he needed to, before he gave into that stress and anxiety, he needed to leave and, and spend time with the Father in prayer and rejuvenate kind of his strength. I always describe like, th- this experience that like, I feel that I've had um, many times over. 
Um, and it's like this experience that like maybe you've had too, like when, like when you go to a church service like this one, and like the people around you are just so much more excited than you are. And like you think that you're doing everything that they're doing. You're singing the same words, you're clapping, um, hopefully on the same two and four beat. Um, and even if you're not, like you're, you're, not, you're not throwing off the beat, so like you're not making the thing worse, right? And everybody like leaves after they hear the message and like, oh man, that was amazing. Oh, I really needed to hear that. Um, or like it could be like, you know, like a particular song where like people say like, I just love it when they sing that song. Um, can, I, I don't know how safe of a place this is, um, but, but for me, um, the song that like I was just like, I, I, I hope we don't ever sing that song ever again. I'm kind of getting tired of it. Um, was like that song Oceans. Does anybody remember Oceans from last year? Yeah, yeah, we, we sang that a lot. We sang that a lot. I liked it in the beginning, and then um, we sang it, and we sang it, and then like I would just like walk to like, you know, somewhere else, and like somebody else was singing it, or like, I was visiting another church, and they were singing it there, and I think the moment that it all came crashing down on me was when I walked into Starbucks, and like I heard oceans going through, like, this is a true story, I heard oceans going through like the, the speakers in, in, in Starbucks, and I was like, what? A Christian barista? Or like, is it just filtered its way through the culture that like, you know, they're even playing it there? Um, and then of course we gave it a break, and then I don't want to admit it because it, it kind of ruins my, 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 my point, but like, that, that, then I started to kind of like it again, but, like, but nobody ever sings it again because like, we've, we've overplayed it, right? Uh, but like, maybe you've had this experience like, where like, everybody's just into this like, particular thing and like, you just feel like, no, 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 I, I just can't handle it anymore. Like when it comes to singing, like, we always hear like, a, a few different things. Um, like, oh man, they're always playing new songs. They're always, they're always singing songs we don't know. We can't sing along. Or they're always singing the same old songs. Like, we're getting tired of them. Or they're always saying, singing the right song, just the wrong way, right? Or, or, or like for some of us like, who don't really like songs, like, why do they keep singing songs? Like, like just give us a break already. Like, there's just too many songs in church, right? And you feel disconnected. And, and like, I, I appreciate that. Like, it, it, church is a tricky place. It's a hard place. And when we apply this, this same type of disconnected experience to like our Bible reading, like, like what we saw uh, with, with, with that character Jeff, like the Bible is sitting right there and, and you want to pick it up and you want to read it and you want to resonate like how you, maybe like you once did before, but you think to yourself, you know what, I'm just not in the mood and I don't want to pick up the, the holy word of God like with this bad mood that I'm in and I'm also just like really preoccupied so I'm going to make my, my to-do list and before you know it, like you've spent 20 minutes like filling out like a list that includes calling the cable company, but like, you know, you won't, you won't read a psalm that might actually, you know, bring some healing into your heart type of a thing. That's okay. Everybody experiences that. And, and, and not just like, you know, some pastors, I think all pastors, okay? And you can tell them that I said that. Everybody experiences these types of moments of like, I, I just feel disconnected. I, I know that I should want this, but I don't. I feel stuck. I feel stalled. One of the things that I've really loved about this passage is like thinking about the sower. Thinking about this farmer who doesn't just sow the seeds to people who are like really good and really spiritual and really righteous. One of the things I really like about this passage is that the sower is, giving, is, is planting these seeds to everybody. Jesus is describing the kingdom of God as a sower who plants these seeds liberally. And this is like my, my, my one key point here. The kingdom of God is like someone who wanted to give everyone a chance. The kingdom of God is like someone who wanted to give everyone a chance. And so like if you feel sometimes like you're on the margins of faith, 
And if you feel like sometimes you're on the outside, or if you feel that you were inside but now got pushed to the outside, I think the kingdom of God is a really exciting and a really incredible place for all of us. People on the outside, people on, I don't even know if there really is an inside. As I've kind of worked my way through this passage and as this passage has kind of captured my imagination, I've tried to wonder like, what metaphor would Jesus had, had used if he were here today? Because he probably wouldn't use the parable of the sower if, if Jesus was here in Boston in 2016. I imagine whether or not, like, if, if Jesus was here in Boston, like, you know, walking around the financial district, if Jesus would have said, I want to tell you about the, the kingdom of God is like, you know, this, this stock market broker who, brought fo- who bought four different kinds of stocks and one just, like, soared really fast and, like, you know, kind of went through this whole thing. I thought, like, if maybe if he was, like, um, in Cambridge, hanging out in some, like, really hip coffee shop, um, like, you know, the kingdom of God is, like, these four tech startups, like, who had, like, all this great promise and then crashed. But I think the one that I really liked the most uh, was the kingdom of God is, like, a record label. Maybe Jesus is standing outside, like, a concert club, and he says, you know, the record label was just handing out contracts to, to most people, which they never do, Right? One band was good, but they, then they lost their drummer and they couldn't recover. A, a second band was good too, but, but they, they, only, they were really only a one-hit wonder. Um, it's, it's, uh, there was another band. Um, they, they had relative success, but they lost their creativity and work ethic, the same creativity and work ethic that got them there. And the fourth band, well, they ended up being U2, one of the best bands in the world, Amen. Yes, yes, that's right. Like, I, I wonder, like, if, if, if that would be kind of like, you know, like, I, I think these, 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 these parables kind of, kind, of, kind of work like that. But let, I would love to invite you, like, this, to imitate those types of exercises. Let, let your imagination of Scripture, you know, ki- kind of take over a little bit. Play with these passages. Let them kind of, like, make sense to you. Um, it's not heresy what we have just done there if it illuminates the text um, it's heresy if you, like, rip out the page and, like, you know, put in, like, you know, you know like this, this whole thing that we were just talking about. But, like, I don't even know if that's heresy. I just think that's a bad use of scripture. Um, let me, let me, let's get rid of that heresy word, okay? But this invokes my imagination to seeing a God who loves us more than we sometimes give him credit for. The kingdom of God is like someone who wanted to give everyone a chance. Often when we read or, or hear sermons on this passage, It's natural to wonder, like, what kind of soil we are in. Are we the shallow soil? Are we the rocky soil? Are are we we the soil that's stuck in the thorns and and, and shallow-rooted? Because you're here tonight, and and, and just for tonight, can can I encourage you to consider yourself as part of that fourth soil, that rich soil, that good soil? I mean, the fact that you're here on a Sunday night, I think, speaks to that. The fact that like, maybe like, you are really just struggling with the faith. And, and I hear this time and time again as a pastor. People saying to me and people saying to other people things like, I just don't know if I want to stick with this anymore. I like Jesus, but some of this stuff just, just I, I don't know what to do with this sometimes. I think part of that struggle of that, I think part of the suffering that we experience in life, I think all of that is part of the rich soil that God ends up doing something really amazing with. Because in that rich soil is suffering, is confusion, is frustration, but there's also a, a, a sense of strength, a, a summoning of courage, a, a, a kind of like a, 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 uh, 
a resilience to giving in to, to the futility of it all. There's fortitude in, in, in that. And just like as we said earlier, like if you, when we think about seeds, we, 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 we have to take into account like, like there is a season of winter that happens. And maybe, just maybe you're in that winter season and as the seeds of your faith you know, are about to enter into spring, maybe something really incredible is about to happen and if you see yourself as part of that rich and good soil, maybe you'll experience a, a harvest that may, perhaps you may not have experienced before. So if I can encourage you tonight to consider yourself part of that fourth soil, that rich soil, which leads us to our final point. The kingdom of God is one where everyone gets a chance and those that keep trusting keep growing. The kingdom of God is one where everyone gets a chance and those who keep trusting keep growing. And so how can we do this? Maybe just a few quick applications on, on, on what this might look like. If you feel that you're stalled in, in, in your Bible reading, in, in your devotional life, and, and even if it's like, like an embarrassingly long time, like, like the last time you've read your Bible or used a devotion, I would love to just encourage you to begin small and easy. Plan your day tomorrow thinking to yourself, I'm, I'm going to do this. I don't know if I'm ever going to do this again, but I'm going to do this tomorrow. I, I come up with a, a short plan, um, something realistic, something like just really simple. Uh, maybe you're, you'll read the, the, uh, the Bible in the morning for, for a few minutes. Uh, maybe you'll write something down so you can think about it later in the day, and maybe you'll go from there. Maybe it's time just to buy a different Bible translation. Somewhere along the line, some of us have gotten stuck that there's like an official version of the Bible because like the church that you grew up with said like it's, it's this version or that version. If you need to, buy a new translation. I would love to recommend the, the message translation because it's just the way that we kind of talk today. Very colloquial, very relevant, very practical. I would love to encourage you. And you can just download it even tonight on the Holy Bible app. It's called the Holy Bible app, I think. Or maybe it's called the Bible app. But it's, it's, it's in, it has like 30 translations. It's really easy. Maybe you're not a morning person. I would love to release you to read the Bible at night if that works better for you. Um, and I feel like you actually have to say that to some people. So like, if you're a night person, man, do that. Whatever is going to work for you. Listen to the Bible on audio, um, on your way to work. Get a diff- just do anything. And I would love to encourage you to find yourself uh, gathering with other people, talking about the Bible. Talk about what doesn't make sense. Talk about what is making sense. Talk about what is working for you. Talk about what is not working for you. That is all part of the process of faith and community, and it is a really good and wonderful thing. But most importantly, when it comes to the practical applications, I would love to release you from the idea that there are times with God that count and times with God that don't count. And I think that is like a fallacy that some of us have, have fallen into. Like, oh, this time with God didn't count. Oh, this time, man, it wasn't too bad. There's no such thing as a time with God that doesn't count. It's a relationship. It's a loving relationship. It is a God, as described as a parable of the sower, who wants to give everyone a chance, including you, including me. And so there is no such thing as a time with God that does not count. As we find some rhythm, as, as we figure out what works for us, as we practice these things, hang in there for, 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 through the, the dry times, but I pray, may you experience some ex- extremely incredible life-altering seasons and days that you just begin to think to yourself, oh my goodness, I almost gave this up. I'm so glad that I didn't because I feel the Spirit of God alive and well and working in my heart. That is a big part of my personal story. 
a time where I really just was convinced that I was never going to experience God. And then just long story short, then I did. And then you go through the ups and downs, you go through the valleys and the hills, and you go through all that. But that's all part of the experience of faith, and it is a good experience. As we close tonight, if we can just take a few moments and just bow our heads and just consider what is the one thing or the two things that you want to say to God tonight when it comes to feeling stalled or when it comes to the soil of your life. Just take a few of these moments in silence and, and pray, pray for yourself right now. Heavenly Father, we have much more to say. But we thank you, Lord, for your patience with us. We thank you, Lord, for the persistence of grace. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that endures. You are a God that cheers us on. That you are a God that loves us. Thank you that you are a God who really believes that everyone gets a chance. So may we keep trusting. May we keep growing. And may we allow you to do great things in our lives and may we observe what you do in the lives of others for the name of, of your son Jesus and for the sake of your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.